Welcome to Authority Optional Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. Today we have a really nice treat. We got to interview Carrie Judd, who is a documentarian, a musician, a sound guy, kind of a jack of all trades, but above all, a creator. Carrie has developed his own record label. He was an artist for over yeah. 10 years. He's got an ebook out on uh, traveling in the music scene without all of the backing of a major label, et cetera, and how to make that work. And more recently, an incredible documentary, uh, 828. Be rolling it. We're be rolling okay. it. Be rolling. We actually started off by mapping out and having a little, not, not agenda, it was a lot looser than that, but kind of mapping out like bullets. what are the two or three things in bullets we want to talk about? Right. And then all of the best conversations were figuring out what those bullets were going to be. And we're like, we can't do this anymore. <laughs> we just got to got to yeah. riff it. Yeah. At yeah. some point I just, I, I mean, almost to the point of like, Hey, I'm just going to surprise you with a topic that didn't work out quite as well. We had to, <laughs> had to do something about that. But okay. generally speaking, we, it's better. It, Josh and I are better if, if it's just loose and sort of unstructured. Cool. So if this wanders off into some Super gray area with me and fucking might. Excellent. That's, that's <laughs> we're perfect. here for that. We're going to be in some sort of existential rabbit hole then. Cool. Well, hello. Well, hello. <laughs> hello. How's, how's, uh, how's everybody doing? I'd like to like have some little formalities. I don't, we don't usually do this. Yeah, that's on true. The show. I'm excited today because this is a, a kind of a departure, but it's something that we've talked about in the background that we've wanted to do for a while, which, you know, Max and I both have creative backgrounds. He's done some film, I've done music, and we have a very special guest today, Carrie Judd. Uh, Carrie, why don't you give us a little bit about your creative background and where you came from and how yeah. you ended up in Boise, Idaho? Sure. I've forgotten some of that stuff you said. I forgot about the book. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I forget that I'm a musician or used to be a musician. I don't... I mean, I don't know what I am. I'm just a Carrie Judd, as my girlfriend likes to say. I'm a professional <laughs> Carrie Judd. Um, so yeah, I uh, grew up in Southern California. I started touring, uh, doing music as a singer-songwriter by myself. Um, did that for about a decade. It was a full-time gig. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad's originally from Weezer, so my parents uh, moved back to Idaho to retire. And then they went and traveled the world. And so while I was touring, they're like, you... Uh, it doesn't matter where you live. Can you just come live at our house for a while while we're gone? So I did, thinking it was a temporary thing. And um, turns out I really loved Boise. So I was here. I eventually started like an audio recording studio, um, did music. One day picked up a camera to make a music video for my friend's band. And then um, that studio turned into video production because we put that out and people started calling us for that more so than audio. And I've always been interested in documentary Fast forward to 2021, I executive produced a documentary about my own life, which was pretty strange and, you know, raw and uh, very naked. And uh, now I'm working out of OMG Studios, which Steph Cullen owns as her in-house audio guy and media jack of all things. So I do everything from audio to camera to, I, I can't, I don't have a list written in front of me, but I do a lot of things. If it's related to me, I, I probably have some, um, skill set or skill level in that thing. So I, I, I set up our podcast this morning. So just yeah. to give you an idea. Sure did. So yeah. uh, our, uh, in case our audience is wondering why, why the hell are we interviewing an artist? This is, does not fit with the theme of our show. This yes, is, it does. That's a good fucking question. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting there. Quit <laughs> shitting on my point. <laughs> I'm getting ready to find out why am I here? Yeah. It's because you have encountered and been in leadership in various sure. 
forms throughout your experience. Yes. Um, and we're curious to explore some of your thoughts on both being at the top of a project and working for a big dumb company, BDC, as we like to say. Yeah. So for our audience, it, it doesn't matter what field you're in. It doesn't matter if it's artistic or industrial or whatever. If you, you it's, it's not hard to find leadership experience. Sure. And, uh, so I, that's, I just kind of wanted to lay out a, you know, a, a premise, a why, Mm-hmm. Um, just in case anybody's curious, yeah. even even more so maybe in a creative space, because one thing that we struggle with is in a corporate setting, people want to show their work. They want to get ahead. They want to be competitively at the top of their game, whether it's you know sales or production or whatever it might be in in a creative sense. And what we learned it, working together in a team of 10 managers who were really cohesive was the collaboration that happens in a creative space. But you didn't make a movie by yourself. no. No, what I did was, well, the film is, is super unique because I'm usually behind the camera. And um, in 2020, both my parents passed away. There's some other losses. I won't go down that rabbit hole right now, but um, it was like very much a psychological thing. It was a time where I needed to just take care of myself. And the only thing that made me feel better was riding this electric skateboard. Yeah. I got this idea. Okay, I think that in 2021, I probably rode over 5,000 miles on an electric. It's the one I ride is, is, is what is classified as a hyperboard, which is a very big electric skateboard, meaning I can go 50 to 75 miles on a charge, charge it for two hours. A hundred mile days were very common. And then I didn't, I was able to clear my mind so I could deal with grief and I could stave off like going into a depressive hole. But, um, I lost my train of thought. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut this what part out. What was I talking about? Again? Collaboration, collaboration and kind of building yeah. the team. Essentially direct. Okay. Yeah. So as far as collaboration and building that team, my friend Drew Garcia directed the film. And he's great. And when I when I first started having the idea, I was like, you know, maybe I'll take one of my little cameras with me. I'll have some action cameras. I'll document it. Maybe it'll be a YouTube series. I start telling my friend Drew, who's a fantastic director, this is what I'm doing. Like, we're coming out of COVID. I've lost both my parents. I feel better when I do this. Maybe there's a story to tell. I can get a YouTube series out of it. And he's like, yeah, I, I think that'd be cool, but like, I'm not doing anything either. So <laughs> why don't we make a... Uh, like proper documentary. And so in February, 2020, when he started following me, but the point was I wouldn't have had a, I would have, I would have rather done it by myself if I didn't have a director that could do something better than me. And so anytime I'm building a team, whether it's like in music, building a band and I have a whole spiel on that, on, on bands I've done and how I've done that as a leader, even though I'm not a natural born leader, um, is finding people in each lane that you need to fill that are better than you. Yeah. You have to, you have to build a team that's better than you because if you're building a team, if it's not, if the sum of the parts isn't greater than the individuals, you're not, it's not a real team. Yeah. Yeah. I've said for years now that hire people that are smarter than you are and then get out of their way. Yeah. 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 And that's what I did. Andrew made a beautiful film. The cinematography, if you haven't seen eight to eight, it's worth watching just for the cinematography alone and then there's this incredible story. At what point in the process did you realize that it wasn't just about you and that it was mm. about your mental health and that it might touch others in a way that, that might improve their lives? So we started in February because I had to train. I had to like be able to be comfortable going 100 miles a day on this board, which is, it's not like a... Um, it's not like running on a treadmill. It's very isometric. So like my, my thighs went from like me being able to get my fingers around them to be going like 
like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and people might just I, like I've seen the film, and anybody who's not familiar with eboarding, you might be just thinking like, well, this is a motorized skateboard essentially. Sure. Aren't you just mostly standing there because you don't even have to power yourself? However, yeah, most people underestimate what vibration does to your body. Right, and and it's like if you're on a snowboard. Are you just standing there? If you're on skis, are you just standing there? It's right, the same thing where you, where you have that movement, yeah. you have all the core, you have your legs, and it has to be strength, but also you have to be relaxed. Yeah. And, so and balance. And if you go down on a snowboard, you're going to slide down the hill. And if you go down on an e-board on tarmac, you're stopping real quick. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. And you're breaking Because you're, you're at motorcycle speed, right? You could hit 30, 40 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've gotten that thing up to about 45 miles an hour. Jeez. Um, and you're standing up. It's and too you, exposed. And it is. It's very exposed, which which is a great metaphor for where my life was at that point, too. You yeah. don't have handlebars. If something goes wrong, you're sliding across the pavement. Hopefully, you're sliding across the pavement and not just slamming like you would on a normal skateboard. Um, so there's, you know, there's that risk involved. Um, so what are some of the other components of, you know, this is actually one of our, our standard questions for leaders. Like, how are you, so we've, we've started with hire people that are better than you. Sure. Once they're there, how are you helping to create and maintain an environment? It's essentially a culture. I mean, you're out in front and they're in a van behind you most of the time, most of the day but there's still a team element. Like what's, and I would imagine um, the director had a lot to do with this, but you're essentially producing. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm, I'm putting all the nuts and bolts together, but once we get to Iceland, I have to let go. Mm-hmm. You know, we brought our friend Mark and his, his function was logistics, problem solving. Where are we going to sleep? Where are we going to eat? Drew and I both eat gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Like we have to find a place for that. We have to find a place to park the van and, and sleep in the van or every you know, maybe four or five days we'd be in an actual Airbnb when we were in a real town. So he's a logistics person. I can't talk about his day job because it's one of those day jobs he can't talk about. Um, gosh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, now we're intrigued. <laughs> we <laughs> might, can't we talk might, about it. Yeah, we might and, edit um, that out. <laughs> so he's very, very logistics oriented. And then we brought my friend Cornell to drive the van. And his purpose was just, he's already my great friend. It was like, I need a good friend that like if things go in a shitty direction, like yeah. I have someone to lean on. Yeah. Um, and things fell apart, you know, mm-hmm. but I had the right people there. Yeah. I had the people that were better than me at solving those problems or, you know, in Drew's case, getting the shot, finding the story. And then I had a good friend there that knows me well enough to know, can like read my face and say, okay, come here, let's go, let's go talk. And then we had the guy that was there to solve all the problems. Like, where are we going to sleep? Where are we going to eat? And all of those people could do those things better than I could. I mean, I, I can be a good friend if if I were if Cornell and I switched places. Obviously, I could do the same thing for him. But yeah. again, it just it circles back to like having people that are really good. Yeah. Okay. We uh, we didn't get to the point of the previous question, so I wanna I wanna ask again because I okay I'm curious. Where did you realize that the the aspect that you were showing the world here was bigger than just you? Oh, yeah. That's like just like me to meander. Um, it wasn't until the end of the Iceland trip because I was so dedicated to the 828 miles I trained, I overtrained. And in fact, in the film, I never complain about any physiological problems Yeah, because it was very difficult to get, to get to a hundred mile day. And it was probably in the, with, in the last, we were there for about, I think 17 days and it was probably the last five or six days that I was like, Oh. That's why Drew's here. That's the story he's telling. He's talking about mental health. He's talking about going through the grieving process through adventure. And I was the last one to find out <laughs> that the finished film wasn't going to be about me setting some world record of getting around, you know, 828 miles. 
in this, you know, this very short window that we had, it was a mental health story. And then, and then life got a lot better. <laughs> I started enjoying those, those last rides were just like, I'm just, I'm skating in Iceland and there's a volcano over here. There's an iceberg over there. There's some, there's a glacier here while I'm over by the side of the road trying to change my tire. Who does this? Yeah. Like, and, and my takeaway, even though like, I understand that for the viewer, it's like addressing mental health issues and grief through adventure. For me, it was like being in the moment and finding joy. And I got to just completely immerse myself in and relish that for those, those last few days. It was like, I've experienced Iceland in a way that no other human being of the 8 billion of us on earth have experienced. So I was having a completely unique experience, which is, which is pretty much what drives me in life in general. And that's when it was like pure joy. Yeah. So uh, kind of strange to draw some parallels to this and to business. But when we talk about hiring creative people and we're looking at who we want to add to our teams and you know, we, we had this funny little discussion about the box and the fact that there isn't one and that you <laughs> oh, shouldn't, should you shouldn't be. be, yeah, that there shouldn't be one because the best idea is the idea that, that, that should win in that circumstance. Always. But when you're talking about creativity and innovation, I'm looking at the context of COVID and the things that we learned from that as well, where you, you can't be creative or innovate. And we've talked about this at length in an environment where you're crushed and working 50, 60 hours a week and you don't have time to sit and ideate or be on an e-board and let your thoughts go, you're focused, you're not going to eat it. But, but turning off and dumbing down you know, the, the, the pain or the depression or the other elements and finding joy in a day-to-day way, yeah. what Max and I have always tried to do in a corporate setting is provide an environment where you do have the freedom and the psychological safety to ask hard questions, to fall down and make mistakes, but to also have the time to develop these things that are important to you and finding creative people and bringing them into the fold in your businesses is really important in that, in that sense of that's the only way that you're going to create something that nobody else has ever done, ever seen, or ever had. And that's, I, I feel like there's a, a parallel there. So Yeah, well, and even just to start with the box, the minute you've acknowledged there's a box, you're fucked. Like I hate anytime someone says, okay, we need to think outside of the box on this. I was like, I never noticed there was a box there in the first place. It's always kind of felt to me like you're calling us stupid. Like we're just going to, oh, we've got our five or six ideas that we always use. Well, we've talked about this in one of our previous episodes. We, you know, tropes, <laughs> tropes, cliches, and what, what I call tired old shit. Yeah. Which is what corporations regurgitate and recycle the same things over and over and over. Like, you know, I'm not going to go over the whole episode, but things like, let's make it happen. And I'm always like, make what happen? You have no idea what you're talking about. Take it to the next level is another one I hate. Like If you don't know exactly what the next level is, there is no next level. If you don't have like finite goals of what the next level looks like, I hate when people come to me like, yeah, I've got this thing and I want you to film this thing. And it's like, okay, what's the purpose? Well, I just want to take it to the next level. It's like, what's the next level? And they're just stuttering, like, it, 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 just bigger than I am now. And it's like, if you don't have a clear defined goal of what that next level looks like, then you might as well go get in that box and close the top and hide away because there's no... Yeah, just tuck in. Are they are they hoping for the serendipity that, that you found with this movie where you think you're doing one thing and it turns out to be something much bigger and grander than, than what you started with? I have no idea what people are thinking. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great example the 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 purpose the power of a quality team your your experience through that 
documentary. It's, it's, it's exactly what you said. You were surprised. You're essentially, yeah. this is your project. And you were the last person to know what this thing could be about. That's what a really good team can do for you. They, you, yes. can, you can rely on them to carry the weight that they've been asked to carry. And that frees you up to do whatever it is you're supposed to do to either take care of them or lead the project or talk to the people that, you know, wherever this next stage is for the, for the project, a really good team will kick ass mm -hmm. for you and to the point of giving you, I mean, I dare say it, I know this is lofty, a revelation. It, it's in my case, that's, a, that's, that's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's about letting go. If you're hiring a professional that works in a lane that you don't, let go and let them do their thing. If I were to take all of the footage that we acquired, the 50 some hours of footage from 828 and um, I were to make an edit, mm -hmm. it would be a different story and it would be a complete shit. <laughs> You'd be too yeah. close to it, right? I'd be too close to it. I wouldn't have the objectivity and I'd be doing myself and my team a huge disservice because the story was bigger than me. Like I got what I needed out of that experience, like the personal experience that I had that's not on camera. I got what I needed out of it. But as far as having, uh, and it sounds crass to call it a product because it's my life, but the product is way better than it would have been if I had micromanaged it. Yeah. We talk about decentralized leadership as the, as the term we would use, and it's exactly that, finding the right people, putting them in those places, and then trusting them, especially when they tell you you're wrong. Yeah, I know um, from listening to uh, a, another podcast that you were on, you had mentioned that you and Drew had to come to an agreement. You gave him 51% yes. control so that if you two ever really got into it, he could go, nope, I pulled director card. You you have yep. to do what I say. Um, that That level of trust is something that ideally we need to develop with our teams and trusting that they are going to give us their best. Yeah, and it comes back to letting go. And it comes back to if I had if I had been like the lead editor on that and I was in the editing room for 80% of that, but there were moments where I was like, Drew, I, I really don't like, I'm having a fucking meltdown on camera and that's like how people are going to see me. Like this is an intense part of my life. So if you, if you judge my life by that film, you've missed the point because I'm a goofball. I like doing bombastic, silly things, but I had to let go so that the story took precedent over like what I wanted or what I thought I needed. And like, it's, again, it's letting go and you can let go when you hire or hire someone or build a team of people that are better than you. Yeah. It's Drew and I think would get along quite a bit. <laughs> the, 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 I would imagine the, the response to that, like, I really don't want to show this because I'm melting down. It's like, no, 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 this is what people want to see. Right. And this is, I mean, conversations that Josh and I have had, he's, he's a little more conservative. Like I think probably one of the reasons that this is an explicit show is because I'm, I'm arguing hardcore for it. No, no, no. Like people want to hear people who are being real. Right. And I, I, I think that, you know, I would, I would love, I don't, it, I would love for somebody to break down on our show, even though it's not likely just based on the topic alone, people don't usually cry about leadership. <laughs> well, 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 there's been some moments. I can, I can think of some. Yeah. I can think of people that I've brought onto the team that didn't work out that, you know, I, I had a, for a short time, what, what do you call it? A BDC? BDC. For about two years, I worked for a BDC as a creative director, and I brought on an editor that I had to check his work. I had to like explain to him why what he was doing wasn't good, and I just wanted to like punch a wall. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't have physically punched a wall, but that emotion was there. And again, it goes back to if I'd hired someone that was better than me, which I didn't, 
I was hiring someone that I knew and wanted to give them an opportunity. Um, and I, I broke my own rule of hiring someone that was better than me. Yeah. And then I ran into a lot of problems down the road. And a lot of corporations don't foster that. That's, no. I, I'm going to imagine, I'm going to imagine that you worked for somebody who wasn't telling you, Hey man, when you go to hire somebody, and if that's not an instinctual thing, if that's a lesson that you learned the hard way mm-hmm. and nobody's telling you, then why would you, you're going to hire somebody that you think, Oh, I'm going to take this person under my wing and I'm going to make mm-hmm. them better. And, and then they're going to make dumb choices just because we're human and that's what happens. I mean, I was really fortunate when I, in my run in BDC, I like, I don't know, maybe it was a a woo woo universal law of attraction thing, but I was fortunate enough to draw to my team or come across people that were excellent. And I could, Mm -hmm. I could see them. um, Most of them started as sole contributors on the phones, all the things, and we could kind of keep an eye on them. And by the time I was about halfway through building my team, I had that half a team really going, okay, who else do we want? And then just waiting for that opportunity when somebody who doesn't really belong on the team, because I, I inherited it. Yeah. And when you inherit a team, it's it's a different ball of wax than hiring your own team. If I got to walk in, I mean, I moved to this state in order to take that job, and I didn't know enough people here locally, and certainly not in the context I know that I was taking over. So... uh there was no way for me to hire like my team. I, I I couldn't go forth and go, all right, who's better at what than me? Right. I had to I had to inherit the the building, like the carpet. That's what we used <laughs> an old boss I used to have said, Yeah, she's like the carpet. She came with the building. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's, she's always gonna be here. Um but or he. Or he. I, yeah, well in this case it was a she. <laughs> okay. But uh yeah, like I I had to explore and and do this piecemeal and bring on people one at a time. And I was fortunate to come across some really talented people. Um, others got referred in um, because that's what happens when you start to find great people is they tend to also know great people. And yeah, it gets, I mean, you can get lucky, but it was also a couple of year endeavor for, yeah. for that particular part. I think in, I think in that case too, there's, there's something that I learned recently. Um, I've been doing some uh, video work for a corporation and they've talked about um, when you're hiring someone, if you say, we think you'd be a good fit for our team versus you'd be a great addition to our team. Hmm. And finding someone that thinks a little bit different th- than you gives a different perspective. Interesting. And then the team becomes stronger. So you don't necessarily want someone who's a good fit because you went to the same college or you come from the same background. Finding someone different from you finding a good addition to the team versus a good fit for the team, I think is a really important thing that's, that's stuck yeah. with me um, as I've even organized my own production um, productions. And, and it's, it's, it's really like something that's, that, that's sort of is swirling in the back of my mind as I'm thinking about like, do I want to work with this person? Are they a great fit because yeah. they like me or I like them or are they a great addition because they're going to think differently from me? Do you have some... And it can be a bit ephemeral, but do you have any sort of like basic criteria? Like you need to be at least these things if you're if you're going to work well on my team. Like for instance, um, a good addition to my team is somebody who is not afraid to tell me that I'm fucking up or that yeah. they think my idea is poor. That's like that's a bare minimum for me. Yeah, I think I think a proven record of competence. Because okay. it's it's easy to hire someone. Oh, I really like that guy. Yeah, but then they enough. show up, and whether it's if it's like in a technical situation where I'm having to tell them how to place a microphone or how to compose a shot with a camera, competence is is the bare minimum. Okay, that's good. 
you looked like you were going to say something earlier. Well, just we're always trying to tie back things to something that's tangible. What you just described was hiring somebody in a, a DEI sense sure. where somebody who's different, has different perspectives, a different background, a different learned experience, who's going to be able to have a completely different perspective on the way and and the method that you use in doing something. That challenge is where... I'm going to, I'm going to go back to, I would call this a trope, but people talked about it a lot with John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney would have written these really great, simple pop songs. And John Lennon had this edge to him where he wanted to poke the establishment and he wanted to do some Mm -hmm. things. And the friction that that created gave you the Beatles and it's totally, they're both incredible on their own. But when you put that together, get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Collaboration. It's being greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. And that diversity, we, we, we hear about it so often and, you know, C-suite level positions have been created for DE&I. It's something that if you really want to have diversity on your team, mm-hmm. find people who don't think like you and who yeah. are a great addition and don't just fit in. And there's science that backs that up. Absolutely. There's absolutely science that backs that up is, is if your audience is America, like we're like three white guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've I, joked about I this mean, before. I mean, we just, a lot. it just has to be acknowledged. <laughs> yep. We have one perspective between the three of us, and we have to be able to be corrected. We have to be able to have someone by our side or be by someone's side that with a different perspective. Yeah. And there's, there's statistical data about like, you know, huge corporations like McDonald's did a whole um, ad, ad campaign um, that catered more to uh, Latino customers. And they had people on their team saying like, yeah, well, this is why, you know, my friend's don't eat at McDonald's. And it was like, it was like they had statistical data about how their sales improved by being inclusive. Yeah. And, and we live in the United States of America. Like we, the melting pot is real and that's what makes it great. Like what makes it, what makes it great. Isn't like the white guys that came over and colonized. It's that we have so many people here with so many different perspectives and the potential of that is not even near being tapped yet. Agreed. And this is also the value of being willing to be told that your ideas are bad or that, yeah. or to just at bare minimum have them challenged. Even if somebody's not being rude and saying your idea sucks, they could be going, I think there's a better way. I just talked to somebody recently about a potential business adventure and there was an hour long pitch, first of all. And I already, I already have feelings about that, especially when what I was calling about was the price. And so I had to listen to the pitch, even though I didn't need to be pitched. I was already interested. Like, I'm calling you because I want to buy. You don't need to convince me to buy. But at some point, there was a couple things throughout the conversation. Number one, uh, he was bragging. He was telling me about all the stuff he's got and how much money he's making. And he was there was three calls involved, and he was late to every single one of them by at least 10 or 15 minutes. And... And there was always like, oh, I'm I'm doing this thing that would absolutely be privileged and cost a lot of money. Or I was getting I was getting a massage or whatever. Like there was things that he was doing that caused him to be late to this call. And like there's not mm. really any good excuse. You're just being a flake, or you're doing this on purpose to try to show some kind of level of power. Mm. Value. But what the uh <laughs> what got me eventually to go, this is not gonna be my thing, is there you can get little glimpses into people. You mentioned we're three white guys. There is a class of white person that as I've decided is not, I guess the nicest way I can say it, I'll, I'll say it's not my favorite, rich, older white guy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not filthy rich by any stretch. I'm, I'm doing pretty okay. Um, but I also work pretty hard to stay tapped in and, uh, be open to ideas and not mold myself on, you know, what I've done in the past or whatever. And this guy made a comment. I'm not going to be able to reproduce exactly what he said, but it was something to the effect of, you know, what women think of you based on what you do for a living. Mm. He never asked if I was married. Mm-hmm. So he had no idea that my wife and I didn't get together because I was a powerful executive. <laughs> I like I was struggling to make ends meet when by the way like by the time we actually got married I was not even middle management like I I was very, right. about as close to the front line as you could get I wasn't not making a bunch of money and yet somehow this amazing woman married me. So he knew none of this because he didn't ask any questions. Yeah. His only questions was can we agree on can we agree on can we agree on I'm like Boy, are you selling hard? And that's just sort of like a. If anything, this is this diatribe is is a negative example. It's a counter example. If you, this guy is essentially trying to bring me onto his team. That was the business venture. He was very much. He just couldn't stop himself from being a rich older white guy. Yeah, and just kind of vatting all over me. And yeah, I was just like there's no fucking way, dude. Like right. Well, you, even as we're here, like othering him. Yeah. We have to be very conscientious of that, you know? That's very we, fair. We have to be sure that we don't slip in. What if you do have a lot of success and you turn into that white guy unknowingly without yeah. self-awareness is tricky. And it just comes down to like, you can still be confident while being humble. And it's interesting. And being uh, willing to be corrected. Uh, Ray Dalio is somebody that, that we pay attention to. And he started his first company and surrounded himself with yes men. And that company crashed and burned and he lost millions and millions of dollars. He rebuilt a company and surrounded himself with a bunch of people who were willing to say, you're wrong and here's why. And that diversity is what grounded him. And the rest of his life is a completely different story on talking about how to stay grounded and and how to... (laughs) Not be a trope. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and being you, aware of your privilege. Like be aware oh of it because gosh. because it, it makes you it make it can make you like really just really ignorant. I think that's um probably what stuck out to me. You're absolutely right. Um I'm judging the guy a little harshly. Um not knowing what his situation is, where he came from, maybe he really scrapped together what he feels is the right to act in a certain way. Or he's just mm-hmm. trained we all we're all products of our culture and experience anyway. But sure. And you're right. I mean, I, I could get, you know, God forbid this thing turns out to be really successful and Josh and I become rich white guys, that'd be swell. But I think that the the important part for me, my takeaway was, and I sound like I'm defending, defending myself and I don't mean to. Um, <laughs> Such the, a ri- ri- rich white guy thing to do. It is. <laughs> yeah, we got to defend ourselves. You know what? Never mind. I'm going to cut it off there. I'm I not worked really hard for this, but it's like, yeah, but you also had all these like, you, know? you had privilege. You yeah. had help all along yeah. the way, whether you knew it or not. It's yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And I think when three white guys are talking about this, we have to just acknowledge that and move on. Like yeah. because we yeah. don't we don't know what we don't know. And we'll never, never know. Yeah. And it's right. you have to stay open and you have to stay humble and you have to be able to be corrected by people that are different than you. Um, so I got uh I got another question on my list here is when you are say when you're leading a team and mm-hmm. it's it's a Maybe it's as good as it's ever been. We'll say, I won't say as good as it could be because that maybe that never happens. Right. Um, Because that means there's nowhere to improve. When do you know it's time to go outside of your team for some kind of influence, assistance, support, resource, what have you? As soon as I feel routine Hmm. or as soon as I stop feeling growth, personal, whether it's professional or personal growth, if I stop feeling that, 
I, I mean, I've, like if I were a cat, I'd probably be on life number six, <laughs> <laughs> maybe seven. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm one of those cats that has 16 lives. I don't know. But as soon as things feel comfortable, and this is personal and professional, you're not growing anymore. Yeah. And if you have to put yourself on an electric hyperboard and hit that throttle to hit 45 miles an hour so you can go skipping down the road when you fall off, just to shake your brain up and like give you perspective, you got to find whatever that is. Um, complacency is not happiness. I don't think it's really even contentment. Um, complacency is death. You know, I, I actually, I can validate that. I had a really killer team when I worked in the BDC that we worked for. And it got to a point where there was just a rhythm there, yeah. there was, there wasn't an obstacle that was even really a challenge, especially towards the end. I mean, the biggest challenge came was when they started laying people off. Right. <laughs> like that's, that Excuse was me. the only uh, challenge really. And, and it had, on, the only challenge that had showed up in probably the last three years or so, I mean, there was, there was stuff, there, there were things that caused stress. There were things that we needed to move to, to address, but you're right. And I didn't have the luxury of going outside of my team because it's a corporation. There's only so much you can do, but I did as much as I could. And, and, and I would say that I encouraged the team to do as much as they could. We had a weekly book club kind of situation, you know, let's go get another resource. Let's tap into some kind of new information, but you're right. I, I think that it breeds a little bit of misery you get really comfortable yeah. and you think that's going to be happy, but it's not, if you're not growing, Kind of you're dying. Yeah, and that becomes that becomes like a primal humanistic thing when you say like, yeah, there wasn't any challenge we couldn't find. If we're not challenged, like even if we're prehistoric men, it's like we're looking at like, yeah, there's this whole herd of bison and we can just pluck off one whenever we want and then you get complacent and then you get bored. And yeah. boredom is the opposite of happiness, I think. And without challenges, like just in our primal DNA if we don't have a challenge, you don't have a purpose. Yeah. And boredom, if, if hopefully boredom is inspiring you to go stop being bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have, I have, so I have three kids. I haven't explained this to my six year old, but the two older ones, I told them from a very early age, I would rather hear you say, fuck you, dad, than I'm bored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're not. <laughs> I don't know if that's good parenting or not. <laughs> well, they're not. I'm not making any claims about my parenting skills, yeah. but it's like I've, I've had I that like discussion. It. I have an eight year old who's almost nine. I have an 11 year old, and when they pull the, but I'm bored, and they want screens and and that kind of thing, and it's like, good. How are you going to fill that? Yeah. And they look at me like I have three heads, and then they find their games, or they find their Legos, or they find their friends and their bike, and they go out and they're moving and they're doing, and um, I'll. I'll take up the F you dad for sitting there and just being like, I'm right. And then they're out there. Now they're out there moving and growing and being yep. creative. And they come back inside from that bike ride or they finish building <laughs> that Lego set and you can see the difference in their face. Yeah. And they're fortunate to not be growing up in the era where, you know, when we were kids, you go to your parents and tell them you're bored and they're like, all right, see that pile of rocks? Go move right. them one at a time to the other side of the yard and guess what you're going to do when you're done? Move them back <laughs> one at a time. Your, your parents were meaner than ours. <laughs> I had those parents. Was, or I had that mom at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's effective. And I think that I would say both ways are effective. I, I don't have kids, so I don't have the ability to 
um, to reframe it. But I think that it's probably much more effective to go, well, what are you going to do about it? Which Mm -hmm. ironically, something that is in my vernaculars, what's the plan? If I had a kid, I would like to think if they came to me and said, I'm bored that I would say, cool, what's the plan? Because that's how I kind of handle everything with a team. Spoken like a person with no This kids. is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah this is going to be a very directed chicken walk because I'm, I'm, again, kind of getting this back into the idea of, of working for a company, working for yourself. You talked on a podcast recently, uh, The Art of Mountain Biking, mm-hmm. and, and the conversation turned to that creativity and how it's restorative uh, for you and for the co-hosts of that show. You know, you've talked about wind therapy yeah. uh, on some other podcasts and mm-hmm. just the uh, the ancient idea of feeling nature and feeling the wind and feeling the breeze. And I think so many people in the corporate setting right now need a break. And yeah. their their idea is, if I take a break, I may get behind because I'm so crushed. And the other side is, if I take a break, people are going to think that's weird. Like, you need to go walk at lunch? Like, what's that all about? That type of self-restorative knowledge, we need to talk about that more often. Yeah, we absolutely do. We absolutely do. And like the, like if you're going down a hill on a, on a mountain bike, and it doesn't even need to be something like crazy. You don't have to be in another country, and you don't have to be in Croatia, Croatia with like you know some of the most epic mountain bikes in the world. You can go to the Eagle Bike Park, run down what's called Flow Trail a few times, and you're just like. I know this isn't all video, but this is my face. Large smiles. <laughs> Large open mouth smile with your hair blasted back. You're like, life is really great. This is awesome. Yeah. And it, it's like, and it's the same as the six-year-old kid that first learned to ride a bike and jumped off a curb. And now it's, it's you still need that. Yeah, that I became you yet. I became famous in the era of COVID for taking people on a walk. And you know, we're remote. It's like, okay, I'm going outside at 10 o'clock. If you want to walk with me, put on your, your phone, put on some headphones, go for a walk. And Everybody to a person over time just realized like, yeah, this is way better than sitting at a desk and staring at a screen or talking on the phone while I'm doing something around the house. And we would we would go out and we would walk in two completely different areas. But again, it's it's really restorative. And yeah. I've joked for a long time, I'll get stuck on a problem and I'll turn around from my desk and pick up the guitar that's behind me and I'll play guitar for 10 minutes. So it's a good. Total reset. So good because you with well with music, you, you're using all these parts all of your, of your brain. brain. Yeah. You're using the whole thing, like you're using the very um, logical, you're using the creative, you're using everything, and it just it's a reset for your brain. I mean, you can achieve that in many different ways where it's getting blasted by the wind, playing an instrument, taking a hallucinogenic mushroom, whatever it is. <laughs> like, I'm, I know it's, it, it's funny to laugh at, but also at the same time, like anything to shift your perspective for a minute. And, and I'm, and I endorse, you know, playing the guitar or going on a bike ride maybe <laughs> before that, but like anything that's going to like shake up your perspective when you come back to the problem, your, your problem solving is just going to be a lot yeah. tighter. Did you have any other questions for, uh, one other one that I wanted to ask was, um, you know, success doesn't happen in a bubble or even, you know, we talk about success being, being rich or making a living, you know, you've been able to make a living doing creative things for more than Mm. 20 years now. So that doesn't happen in a bubble. Who have been mentors for you and, and where has that growth happened, uh, in your own path? I don't know if I could point out any mentors because I've always, even as a kid was kind of on my own program, but I think, curiosity. If you can keep your curiosity, the older you get, it's harder to hang on to. But the idea of what would happen if I did this? 
Um, are you familiar with Bruce Dickinson? No. The singer of Iron Maiden? Nope. Okay. So he wrote a book called What Does That Button Do? And it's all about curiosity because he has this huge band, like one of the greatest metal bands of all time. I love them. They were my inspiration for learning to play guitar. And then he was also a fencing champion, like in his off time. And then he liked to fly planes. He was very fascinated with aviation. So he got a pilot's license and then he got a job at British Airways so he could fly the really big planes. And I think it's that curiosity that will continue to drive you. If you get to a point where you're not interested in anything and you're defined with just like your own personal status quo, again, you're dying. And it's, I think curiosity has always been my guide. And that was this, when I picked up a camera, you know, six or eight years ago, it was like, Oh, what, could, what story could I tell with this? Like, and I just picked it up so I could make my own music video when I was doing music full time. And it's, it's that curiosity that takes you to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And I feel like, honestly, I've bumbled through life. I'm not super rich. I get by fine, but it's always like, I pick up a camera, I make a music video for my band and now I'm getting calls for that. And it's like the universe, the universe or whatever is just kind of dictating, okay, this is the path you're going to be on now for a while. And I don't even, I don't know what's going to be next. And if you stay curious, you don't know what's going to be next. And if you know what's going to be next, you're probably bored. And if you're bored, you're probably not happy. Yeah. And if you're sitting out there in middle management land and you're listening to this idea of creativity and that appeals to you, uh, I can't reiterate enough. If you're bored and if it's frustrating or if it feels stagnant and you're not having any fun, you're doing it wrong. Okay, so quick summary after our uh, really lovely conversation with Carrie Judd. Um, there's there's a couple things that I want to I want to touch on. First of all, if you would like to see his documentary, which I strongly recommend, Josh and I were fortunate enough to actually see the screener in the theater, which was beautiful. Um, the name is Eight Twenty Eight. That's Eight Two Eight, and you can find that on Amazon Prime. You can also find it on Tubi if you're okay with commercials. I'm not sure how that works, but those are the two channels that you can find it on. So what we, what we took away, what I'm, I'll say what I took away. And if you've got anything to add, by all means, um, step number one, if you can at all do this, if you have any opportunity to do this is hire people that are better than you. It doesn't have to mean that they're better than you at everything. In fact, they're not going to be better than you at everything. Find them, find the people who are better than you at the thing they're supposed to do and be able to learn from them. Number two, don't look for a good fit. Look for a good addition. I loved that. That's Keywords mean a lot, and the slight adjustment of vocabulary can really make a difference in your head and what you're looking for. And then the third thing is the time to look outside your team is essentially when you sense too much comfort. If you have complacency and too much of a rhythm and things aren't challenging anymore, that's the time to look outside. My takeaway was... I think a little bit more on point with the discussion, it was really this idea, you know, Max and I have talked before um, that we both have some core values around creativity and implementing that creativity and always be creating. That is the thing that drives that growth mindset where you're trying new things or you're trying to find a different answer to something that simplifies it, makes it more streamlined, easier, uh, and opens up time so that you can be innovative and creative and follow your nose to bigger and better things. Thank you.